Here are the highlights from the latest episode of Free Talk Live. Visit freetalklive.com for the full episode. In the studio, it's myself, the Lord Reverend Dr. Captain Kickass Buckshot Esquire, if you will. Joining me. It's Nikki. And Richie Rich. I fully expect uh, some of our callers who would normally call in like hour number one to not call until hour number two because of government savings time. Okay. Oh, yeah. Did you guys get... It really whacked me up today. Not going to lie. Really? How so? Mm. Like, what were the effects? I don't know. I, I just... Well, one, it's darker. Yeah. And then I was... I just kind of got my sleeping out of whack, but my sleeping's kind of always out of whack, so maybe yeah. that was it, too. It, I, okay. Nope. All right. Maybe took, it's just the night shift thing. I took the bonus hour in the in the morning and just slept until my alarm would go off normally. Mm. I was like, all right. It I was funny. Much more rested. I uh, so I did free talk live last night, and then of course after I did beard talk live, which we've been doing on Saturdays uh, at ten thirty, and that's usually a three hour thing that we do. Uh, and so I got home, uh, you know, at what I thought was about the normal time I would get home, and I'm like, oh, I I made really good time because <laughs> I looked at the clock on the stove or yeah. whatever, and then I looked at my cell phone. I'm like. Oh, Right, yeah. the cell phone updated automatically. Yeah. The clock on the stove. I don't have a smart stove or whatever. You know, it's just so I had to change it manually. Also, I had to change the clock in my car manually. I don't have a, you know, that's not connected to yeah the internet either. I had to do the wristwatch and the vehicle changeover. The only thing I did was my watch. My stove is still incorrect unless Matt did it. I used to uh, just leave my car clock. And just live with it and be like, okay, I got to yeah. subtract an hour. Oh, I got to add an hour, depending on which way it was. Because I just, you know, some of the clocks are really difficult to change. Yeah. You got to hold down like two things and like, you know, get a third person. Hey, Bob, come over here, press this button a couple of times. We had a car yeah. that wouldn't let you do it while you were driving. You had to wait till you were stopped to press the buttons. That doesn't surprise me. You know, yeah. Some of the new cars, you can't even like connect to Bluetooth while you're driving. Like, you know, there's something called a passenger, right? <laughs> I imagine that at some point uh, somebody ran some statistics about uh, accidents that happen where people are trying to change their clocks. And That's a good enough reason to ban the change of time to begin with. <laughs> well, yeah. Just, if it saves just one life. <laughs> Stupid nonsense. I, I, I didn't look it up. I meant to, but I, I keep hearing, and like every year it seems there's some talk about ending government savings time. I think they're supposed to do it next year. That's what I thought too, but I have no evidence or anything to point at. Are you mm-hmm. aware of any of this? Is this real? I just heard a rumor. It's messed up. I, I'm with Nikki though. Like I would prefer to have whatever we just left. Okay. I, I'd like it to stay lighter longer then move in the one evening. time zone west. No, that's not the problem. Yeah, that's not how it works. I've lived in other time zones, okay. and it's—I it, mean—you're still—it still gets dark earlier. Who cares right, during that time zone? So I don't—I in the end, like I have a preference, but in the end, whatever the choice is, just make the damn choice and end the stupid thing. Yeah, because it has no use anymore. Right. If it ever really did, no, it doesn't. Right. I'm told that it like, never did. I'm told that like it was a wartime thing. Uh, that they instituted so that they could have more daylight for like the farmers no. and the factory workers. No, they got no? no more daylight. Even if that was the reason, they got zero more daylight because that's not how daylight works. Right. They, they always <laughs> exactly. had the same amount of time, right. but they just shifted it into like right. whatever the normal societal accepted yeah. hours Understood. of operation. So you can wake were. up earlier. So yeah, here's what you whatever. do. Here's what you do. You leave it where it is, right? Where you, where you, ever your tick mark happens to be on the earth, right? Like that's where you're at, and then you just change the business hours. Right, 
you don't have to get up at seven thirty anymore. You just get up at eight thirty or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the whole who cares. I, I have a problem with business hours too. Like the whole accepted norm of eight to five or nine to five or yeah. whatever yeah. that is, because like it, it creates some things. If if you've ever studied studied. Um, like traffic patterns in large cities, okay, and like people who have tried to you know figure out how to like make highways and freeways less congested during rush hour. Like the first thing they always do is say, "Well, we have to incentivize businesses to operate under different hours, and that'll alleviate some of the congestion." Yeah, and and of course, no one does that. Yeah. No Tax governments breaks. do that, but they don't do it because they don't care. They don't really care about traffic congestion. They don't care. You know, it actually probably, you know, makes for more wear and tear on the roads and keeps like, you know, the government employees employed. And so they don't they don't care. They don't want to incentivize anybody for any of that crap. I'm pretty sure I'm on record on this show as also suggesting the elimination of time zones altogether for the same reason. Right. You can just have Greenwich Mean Time. And then no matter what time it is, you know what time it is every place else. Right. You don't have to do the conversion. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. an that's interesting true. concept. It's right. just like our five o'clock is going to be light, and somebody else's five o'clock is going to be and right. dark. Who cares? Whatever. Yeah. Right. So if you're on Greenwich Mean Time, and all of a sudden, like, oh, my alarm goes off at eleven, right, instead of seven, right. in the morning, or whatever it happens to be, right, and I have to be at work at twelve, right, and I go from twelve to eight instead of nine to five, right. Who cares? Right. Yeah. Right. It just it makes everything more simplified. Yeah, true. And you can just change the hours. I've never, I've never even thought of that as a possibility. We have the dankest vanilla calling from New Mexico. What's on your mind? Oh, well, I, I figured out what the government is saving. What They're saving a whole lot of money. How? It's not for the reason that you think. You know how every single year when daylight sa- or government savings comes along, there's an, like an 11% uptick in heart attacks that morning? I did not know that. Wait, where's What's your source on that? Or do you have one? Oh, the I've internet. I've known this for... For a long time, yeah, of course. I mean, I can look I it up. I just, from, you know. I get my news from memes and cryptic, you know, archaic messages in my dreams. Oh, so legitimate so totally sources. Reliable. Okay, all right. All right, so there's an uptake. Yeah. What was the percentage? I've heard similar uh, statistics. It's right around 11%. 11% uptake in heart attacks? What, do people yeah. just wake up and I, think I they're late? I think that's a major, it's not a major concern right now because obviously, like, everyone's cardiovascular health is at the best it's ever been, so... I'm not worried about that. Okay. But well, just imagine how much they're saving on Social Security. Oh, because they don't have to pay out to people, the older people who die. All right. So the government's got to be just like licking their chops at all the boomers that are about to well, die, right? But if young people die, if younger people die, then they're missing out on tax cattle. Right. Mm, that's true. If they're still working, if they're having a heart attack because they got up to go to work, they're likely not on Social Security. But if they're having a heart attack because they're poor and they've already retired and their only source of income is Social Security, then the government's happy. I just have a hard time believing that that would give somebody a heart attack. Can we kill off more people on Social Security so there's something left for us? Enough for for people to notice it? You know, you guys were talking about the metric system, so I work in construction. Uh, If anything, I'm not sure, you know, maybe... What kind of sockets do you use? Metric or uh, standard? No, he's probably going to bring up the two by fours being more divisible under the imperial system. No, no. Okay. It's mainly that we we cut the lumber for the majority of of the world, and so then they end up having to do the conversions, which sucks for them, not for us. But the problem is all the Italians make the tile, and so if you're doing backsplash, it's a real pain in the ass trying to find a metric tape measure in in the U.S. to 
to make everything work. Mm-hmm. What do you, uh, you know, if I'm in England and, uh, you know, I need to replace uh, some boards in my deck, do I go out and buy, what do I buy? One by fours or no, because they don't use the imperial system. So England, <laughs> where do you Europe? think it came from? Wherever. Yeah, okay, no, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> wherever they're using the metric system, right? What, what if if I'm in a country where they use the metric system? What do I buy for lumber? Well, I don't know. Do you have a license to do that in the first place? Well, no. You'd be you'd be buying meters. You'd be buying like meters or the or derivative there, centimeters or millimeters or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. I just thought like there was an equivalent. Like well, and, terminology for like a two by four in the metric system. When it when it comes to the lumber, that's the that's the thing that uh, people like construction carpenters prefer the the imperial system. Yeah, because a foot is divisible by two, three, and four. Right, right. But a meter and is not by ten. Yeah, right. ten yeah. or or two, two or factors, two or five right, or ten, yeah. and that's it. Right. So it's you know less divisible than a two by four. Right, right. When you're doing those incremental cuts. But it just sounds cooler if there's some violence involved and somebody gets hit by a two by four, yeah. As opposed to getting hit by a you know ten millimeter rod or something, right? You know, or yeah. I got hit yeah. by a two point six centimeter by yeah. That, that doesn't <laughs> <Yeah>. sound cool. <laughs> During the break, Richie, you and I were talking about I I own a house that's well over a hundred years old, and I have a, a deck, if you will, a porch, and some of the uh, they're one by fours. Uh, they've seen better days, and so I was like, "Oh, I'm just gonna go to the Home Depot, and I'm gonna buy a one by four and replace like the worst one. And if that works out, then I'll go get a couple of more." And so I got one, and I didn't even do the thing because it is significantly smaller than the one by four that I wanted to replace by like I don't know a quarter of an inch or something at least. Yeah. And you were saying that that's because of government. I suggested it, and we're trying to find some corroborating evidence. But I've made the claim that the reason for that is government interference in that marketplace, setting minimum standards mm-hmm. for two by fours or one by fours or whatever it happens to be. Right. And then by setting the minimum standards, everyone goes down to the minimum, and that becomes the new standard. So a two by four is closer to like a one and a half by three and a half. Because that was the that was the minimum tolerance allowed by the government, right? And that became and because of that, it just became the standard, right? Like a baker's dozen. The reason you get that thirteenth donut is because of a standard for weight. Like each thing has to weigh a certain amount. And you go like, well, not all donuts weigh the same. So if we're going to be in compliance, yeah, just throw, throw a little bit of extra in. one in there mm-hmm. to, be, to get into compliance. Time to make the donuts, right? So I'm I am suggest if if I'm wrong, call in and correct me. If I'm right, call in and pat me on the back. But I'm pretty sure, you know, the story that I'm sticking with is government standards for measurements. That's usually what it is. I, I believe it's it. It's a safe assumption. Yeah, government interference. I believe it because it, it would behoove builders to, you know, have the same standard over time instead yeah. of it changing. Yeah. Well, and it must be so difficult to be a contractor working on an older house right. and having to replace something. And then it being, you know, that must make it so much more difficult because when it's smaller by just that little bit. Yeah. That must be so frustrating. That does explain why I see a lot of, uh, like, resell, like on the Craigslist or whatever, I see a lot of, like, resell of, you know, a torn down house from the 1800s. They're selling, like, the beams out of it, and they're yeah. selling, you know, the, the, the lumber that came from the, the good stuff, the stuff that's salvageable. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense to me now that we're talking about it, because, like, yes, that you want to replace like with like. You don't want to replace... Yeah. Something that was there with a smaller size and hope for the best, you want to replace it with a you know the same thing. 
And so the, that makes sense. And the odd thing is, if they can cut it down to precisely the minimum, right? Right. They can cut it down to precisely what it says on the label. Right. 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 False if you, if, advertising. If you get a two by four, they can cut that to two by four. Right. They choose not to to save lumber. Major, you're on Free Talk Live. Only if it has something to do with yeah. whales. I got no. I got something, something for you. You can take that two by four and put it in your blowhole, there, buddy. See, some about whales. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, yeah, I can tell how old a building is when I'm tearing it apart by the dimensions of the two by four, because they went down like an eighth of an inch at a time. Right. In the seventies, they were an inch and seven eighths. Now they're down to like you say, three and a half by one and a half. But uh, as far as the increments, definitely feet are are preferred by carpenters rather than the metric system. Told you. And I don't know who the guy. Was it called that says that we're sawing all the lumber? But you know the big orange box store that sells all the wood? Yep. Well, all the one by fours I bought off them for 10 years to do all my trim work with and stuff come from Sweden. Okay. And they are three quarters of an inch by four, three and a half inches, which is not metric. Right, right. Interesting. I mean, it's, it's got hard. a metric conversion somewhere. Right. Well, I mean, when you think about it, when products get imported into the U.S., that doesn't have, you know, if it's from Sweden, it wouldn't have a Swedish label. It would have an English label so people here could read it and understand it. Right. So, I mean, the same thing well, says, would be true with anything. It says, it says made in Sweden. It's printed yeah. in English. It says made in Sweden. Okay, we're going but to do the American lumber now. Retool the factory for the imperial system. <laughs> The big, the biggest, the biggest quirk I've got on the metric system and the standard system colliding is in the automotive industry. There was like five to seven years where they were using some metric stuff and some standard stuff, and crawling under one of those beasts to work is a nightmare. You never know what size wrench it is. Yep. I mean, even even if you can eyeball it real good, you know, you're going to yeah. be wrong half the damn time. Yeah, like uh, the ten millimeter socket. Right. Well, yeah. then you need two say, sets. I have two sets. Pain. I have the metric set. I have the standard set because sometimes, depending on the level of stripping of you know a certain nut or bolt or whatever, uh, you know you need to use the actual. You can get away with like faking the the metric for the imperial or the imperial for the metric from time to time, but if uh, that bolt has been removed and put back m- multiple times, you're going to need the correct one. I forget what it was. It might have been like an as seen on TV wrench set. Yeah, but I forget the brand name. But it was. The, oh, it fits to whatever. It fits. To, well, it doesn't fit to whatever. Like a ten millimeter matches with whatever the imperial one is. But the the wrench was cut where it would rotate onto both. I think everybody, uh, all the muskrats are aware, and the musketeers are aware that uh, Elon Musk has completed the purchase of Twitter. Yay! Uh, I had no uh, clue. Like, yeah, yeah. Well, because you're not like, a muskrat I mean, or a musketeer. I yeah, I, I really could care less. I mean, it's just in the news, of course, so I know about it. Could you care less, though? I could. You could? I could okay. care less. I, I care a little more than I want to because it's in the news. Okay. If it wasn't in the news, I wouldn't care at all, and that's where I want to be. But because it is in the news, I'm caring a little bit because I keep seeing it, and there's more news surrounding it. So... And apparently he's fired some people and, you know, laid a bunch of people off and fired, like, the board oh, and yeah, some marketing people and, and all this kind of thing. Marks. Well, apparently... But tried to hire some back. Like, whoops. <laughs> I, I stumbled upon this today. It was actually uh, trending on, on, uh, on Mastodon, oh. of all places. Mm. And it's about Mastodon, too, but it's from time.com. Oh. And I'm like, that's a pretty major news outlet. Yeah. Let's, let's see what the... And here's the headline. 
Thousands have joined Mastodon since Twitter changed hands. Its founder has a vision for democratizing social media. So we here, we know what Mastodon is, right? It's uh, yeah. been using it for years. Decentralized, federated uh, social media. It's kind of similar to Twitter. Instead of tweeting, you toot, right? And, you know, the same kind of thing sort of apply to, like, what you can do and the media you can share. It's it's a lot like Twitter in, the, in that it's a feed, but it's not owned by any one person or one entity. It's, so I wonder if this has to do with the advertiser exodus, right? Like, you wouldn't expect this story to come from time necessarily right but if time was one of the people or it was one of the organizations who decided we're not going to be advertising on twitter anymore then it would behoove them to move as much of their readers onto the new platform yeah. that they will be on but right. like okay and elon and elon threatened he's like i'm putting all the advertisers on blast so the conservative right ringers know who to boycott light ringers right wingers oh, i thought you said white ringers <laughs> And it's just, just Them normal, too. normal dude playing horseshoes, man. Uh, as Twitter changed hands at the end of October, another very similar social media site was experiencing something of an influx. Mastodon, a decentralized microblogging site named after an extinct type of mammoth, recorded 120,000 new users in four days wow. following Elon Musk's acquisition of Twitter. 120,000 new users in four days, I think, is, you know, it's significant to Mastodon. Yes. Not wonder, to Twitter. So yes. I right. wonder how many people are on Mastodon. That's a good question. Now 125,000. If only we had a producer or somebody with a magic rectangle or a glowing box with a keyboard who could find that information I just can't spell. That's the us. problem. Oh, okay. Uh, the German founder... Named Eugen Rochko, I'm probably butchering the name, said uh, many of them were Twitter users seeking a new place to call their online home. Those users, whether they knew it or not, were following in the footsteps of Rochko, age 29, who began coding Mastodon in 2016 after becoming disillusioned with Twitter. I was thinking that being able to express myself online to my friends through short messages was very important to me important also to the world, and maybe it should not be in the hands of a single corporation, Rochko says. It so, was, sorry, really quick, mm -hmm. in, uh, producer intro, intro 655,000 users on Mastodon. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, nowhere near Twitter, right? Twitter's 237 so, million. Okay. So, what did it increase by? Like 150? 120,000. 120. So, that's so, kind of a lot. That's a significant for, that's chunk a, yeah. of Mastodon right. users. Like, in four days? 20% influx. Yeah. That's, that's pretty good. Right, cool. but less than like a percent of people leaving Twitter. Sure, yeah. but it, it's something. It's a good start. Sure. In my opinion. Uh, Rochko says it was generally related to a feeling of distrust of the top-down control that Twitter exercised. His talking about him uh, inventing Mastodon. We had made the claim that they had, what was it, 400,000? Uh, users six hundred and fifty-five, right? Yeah. And then this article claimed that they have four point five million users. Uh, there's a difference here. The difference is uh, uh, active users in a week versus registered, registered accounts, accounts yep. right? So uh, they have four point five million registered user accounts, but in uh, according to Mastodon's own website that I pulled up during the break, they have. Uh, 421,499 active users logged in this week. So Elon would call the rest of those bots. 
potentially? Well, I mean, I don't log in every day. Okay. To either Twitter or Mastodon. Uh, sometimes it'll be days, weeks, even depending on you know my mood and you know do I have anything to say or do I really care about what everybody else is saying or whatever. Guy gets busy sometimes, you know. He's got a life to live, so I don't revolve my world around social media like a lot of people do these days. We're going back to Tumblr. I mean, in some ways, I actually prefer MySpace, the old, like when MySpace was good before everybody mass exodist over to Facebook. Because, you know, like MySpace taught me a thing, right? Okay. Like, oh, I had to learn HTML. Yeah. yeah, like a little <laughs> bit, right? You yeah. Know? So around that time, right, Facebook was very similar looking yes. and feature rich as MySpace. Yes. It was hard to tell the difference. No, it was easy to tell the difference because, well, you couldn't customize your Facebook page in the same way you could your uh, MySpace. Maybe not to the degree, but I remember having the Facebook wall with, like, games and widgets and doodads and, yeah, like, go to the wall and do it's the true. thing. Yeah, it's true. There were some um, apps that I would use. I call them apps. Websites that offered uh, plugins for both MySpace and Facebook right. at the time. So I could, like, put my music in when I was doing the band thing, put my music in one place, and it would... Shuffle it off to everywhere and right. put a player on it, and you know I didn't have to do all that work. So they were very similar until the transition, right? And then Facebook got away all that yeah. feature-rich, you know, personalization yeah. in favor of the feed, right? And because everybody was moved already, they just too late stayed. now. Yep. Yeah, they call that. Um, uh, there's a word for it: captive. Captive subscribers. Or okay. There's, there's a right. term for that when they when you get a bunch of subscribers and then you change like the format of the main thing you do and people are just like, well, I'm here already. I guess yep. I won't do anything about it. You know, I'm not saying that like MySpace was like the greatest thing ever. It had its flaws and faults and you know that kind of a thing. But um, I it certainly was a little more individually customizable. You know, it, it reminds me of uh, like zoning laws, right? Like before there were zoning laws. Uh, you know, yeah. your neighbor could build whatever kind of wacky looking colored, you know, weird shapes, you know, uh, kind of abode they wanted to on their property next to yours. And they look nothing similar. And, and that's kind of how MySpace was like one guy's page would be like super customized and, you know, different black backgrounds and different sounds of play and music and colors and flashing stuff. And another one would just sort of be plain. The people that are going to abandon Twitter in favor of Mastodon. Just because Elon took over, right? I don't even know if those are the type of people that I would want on Twitter. And I don't think those are the type of people I'm going to be following on Mastodon. Yeah. So, no loss, so no the, harm, no foul. So, the main difference between Mastodon and Twitter is that it's not one cohesive platform, but it's actually a collection of different independently run and self-funded servers. Users on different servers can still communicate with each other, but anybody can set up their own server and set their own rules for discussion. Mastodon is a crowdfunded nonprofit which funds the full-time work of Rochko, its sole employee, and several popular servers. The platform doesn't have the power to force server owners to do anything, even comply with basic content moderation standards. That sounds like a recipe for an online haven for far-right trolls, but in practice, many of Mastodon's servers have stricter rules than even Twitter, Rochko says. When hate speech servers do appear, other servers can band together to block them, essentially ostracizing them from the majority of the platform. I guess you could call it the democratic process, Rochko says. The recent influx from Twitter 
has been a vindication, he continues. It is a very positive thing to find that your work is finally being appreciated and respected and more widely known, he says. I've been working very, very hard to push the idea that there is a better way to do social media than what the commercial companies like Twitter and Facebook allow. I still think if you're banning certain servers because you don't like their content, you're just insulating them and radicalizing them further. Because they're going they're going to get more extreme well, within their own little server. But you're only banning them from your server. Understood. Right. But that's what I'm saying. So they still exist. They still exist, and they're insulated. Right? They're insulated amongst each other, and then they get worse. Yeah. Yeah, they get in that yeah. echo chamber yeah. where right. if you're just, yeah. you know, out on the mainstream... Yeah, I mean, the the whole deal with freedom of speech is not to not to ban people from saying things, but to allow people to say things that you don't want to hear. Yeah, and then, that's the important part to protect because you know if somebody comes up with an idea that's not popular, but then like twenty years down the road it becomes the norm, then you know that's how it's supposed. That's how progress happens. But you can't without free speech, you can't popularize a new idea, whatever that idea might be. Well, and I think it's important to tell people, like, if somebody says something really messed up, it's important to voice out against that or give your opinion or whatever. Yeah. So then they know. But then if they're just in that insulated bubble with all the other wackos that are like, oh, yeah, that's that's cool. Like, you should do that or you should say that. That's where problems occur. And like show up to their public speech and shout them down. And like, uh, I think George Carlin said it. uh, Free speech. Uh, is there so that you can know where the a-holes are. Yes. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And if you isolate yourself, then you don't know where they're at or who they are. Yeah. But if you, of course, allow them to say and print and, you know, do media and all that kind of, you're like, okay, I know where they are now. Dungeons and Dragons. Now, this was the OG nerd game when I was Nerds! Okay. Yeah. When I, Nerds! Like, like if you if you were playing Dungeons and Dragons during like your lunch break in, you know, fourth grade, fifth grade or something, you were definitely a nerd. The rest of the school would like ostracize you because you were a DD nerd. So. And like, you know, you'd have to sit at like some, you know, other table that was far away from the rest of, you know, the cool kids and the popular people and all that kind of stuff. So. Well, it's the game for creative nerds though. Right. You know, got a binder full of graph paper and a pencil Which, sharpener. It is interesting uh, that like nerd culture has sort of, you know, oh, yeah, come round di- yeah. because it used to be something that people ridiculed you for, you know. But the, I, I, the linchpin for me, in my opinion, was not not for me, but like in my opinion, where culture changed was the movie Revenge of the Nerds. Oh, great movie! Yeah, and then all of a sudden, it was cool to be a nerd. I don't know about that. And I was like, well, I mean, several years after that movie okay. came out, like, but I think that that movie played a, a very important part in sort of allowing nerd culture to go mainstream. Lambda, lambda, lambda. Yes, definitely. Um, and so I, you know, I'm also a little upset because, like, I, I would have been a bigger nerd. Right, because like I spent some. If it was going like, to be cool to be a nerd. I would have been a nerd too. Yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> said like, I was just cool. I was, Jesus. I was a bit of a closet nerd, right? Okay. Like I played some D and D, and like I did computer stuff, and you know, I'm basically a dork. But like I also kind of tried to hide my nerdiness because it was uncool, and I didn't want to get made fun of and bullied and all that crap. I know it's difficult to think of looking at me and how I turned out, you know, my appearance and my gruff exterior. But like, no, it's true. Like I wanted to shell. avoid that. that it's kind a shell of thing. hiding the bully child that was the captain. There's some truth to that. There's some truth to that. Uh, so, at any rate, uh, Dungeons and Dungeons is apparently banned 
Dungeons and Dragons. Dungeons and Dungeons, yes. <laughs> Nerds. You're spending too much time with me. D&D, <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons, is apparently banned in federal prisons. Why? Yeah, I know. Like, first of all... What? Like if you if if people consider the television a babysitter for their children, Dungeons and Dragons is a perfect babysitter for inmates. Well, <laughs> because you can play for hours on end, have a never-ending quest, right? Or you know you just start new ones and new characters and all that kind of stuff. Someone's just... going to stab their dungeon master, and then <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> I'm also wondering how many inmates are playing Dungeons and Dragons. You you think it wouldn't be a popular game in jail? I guess I'm stereotyping people that are in jail, but... As not nerds. Yeah. Yeah. Not the real jail, anyway. The, but I, no, the, just go on. Uh, the subheadline says, state prisons around the country ban the role-playing game, too, because of bizarre concerns about gang behavior and security threats. See? I mean, I could see security threats with, you know, like all the little pieces that you make and maybe being able to create... A weapon or something, uh, but of, they're doing that anyway. Yeah, they, yeah, they do that anyway. Yeah. So. 20-sided dice as a weapon. I rolled a 20. It could be. I, I don't understand the connection between gangs and Dungeons and Dragons. How does how does you that... Know, you got your team. Dungeon, a team, yeah, a team tournament. I Dungeon mean, Dragons like, tournament. if anything, there were two gangs in prison and they were fighting, like, they could just challenge each other to a game. Uh, yeah, that would be a good way to settle, It's all their differences yeah. that way, you know, like... Seems ah, but they, they were secretly mapping out the prison complexes, one of their dungeons. That's yeah, <laughs> planning their escape. No, that's not the floor plan for the prison. That's that's the dungeon from our, our dungeon. The dragon. Uh, one one roll of twenty away from freedom. Did you or someone you love work, live, or serve at Camp Lejeune between 1953 and 1988? If you or someone you know lived, served, or worked at Camp Lejeune between 1953 and 1988 and has cancer, Parkinson's disease, or another serious health issue, they are entitled to compensation. To see if they are eligible, they need to call Liberty Legal. Contaminants in the drinking water have led to these serious diseases and legislation is now available for... For veterans and family members who may qualify for financial help from the government, there may be a time deadline, so don't wait. Call 888-918-1037. Anyone that has lived, worked, or served at Camp Lejeune from 1953 to 1988 and has had cancer, Parkinson's disease, or another serious health issue, the money is already set aside. 888-918-1037. 888-918-1037. Let's go first to Greg in New York. Greg, you're on Free Talk Live. Oh, man. When somebody talks about games to settle violence, I have to bring up my one of my favorite series of all time. Okay. Has anyone ever seen this YouTube series called Yu-Gi-Oh! Abridged? No. No, I have not. Sorry, bro. I'm just <laughs> not that into Pokemon. Well, also, I'm very old, so like Yu-Gi-Oh! was, you know, I was an adult doing adult things when that came out. Oh, man, you missed out. I know. Uh, no, <laughs> no, you didn't. I haven't really watched Yu-Gi-Oh! that much, but I saw like the original Yu-Gi-Oh! maybe like, a couple episodes. And it was funny because the whole series is basically like this Japanese company uh, making a show, right, to sell cards, okay? So, like, the entire series, it's funny because the kids are watching this and everyone is all the time just playing these card games. And so somebody made a series, this guy who made all the voices, you all have to like just bring up 
Yu-Gi-Oh! The Abridged Series, you know? Not and happening. basically, it's the most hilarious thing. They make fun of, like, every episode, um, the plot of the episode. But the funniest thing is that whenever anyone has a problem, they're like, I challenge you to a children's card game. <laughs> <laughs> I wish uh, you supposed leaders of of these things known as countries uh, would uh, challenge each other in some different, like dueling is fine with me or Dungeons yeah. and Dragons, uh, you know, go fish, something <laughs> other than war. You know yeah. what I mean? Like I figured so, they, they should be able to solve their problems in a different way. We're going to settle this with a game of Uno. If I, if I wanted <laughs> I to watch weird Japanese American dub shows, it would either be Power Rangers or the most extreme elimination challenge. MXC. Yeah. Get on. Get on. Greg? And just as an aside, like as someone who has built Intercoin and have to worry about the SEC considering something a security, mm-hmm. technically the the Yu-Gi-Oh cards and the Pokemon cards should be considered securities by the Securities and Exchange Commission because <laughs> they meet the definition. Have, yeah, because look, it matches all the Howie testing. First of all, there is a central actor, the show producer, mm-hmm. that like creates demand for these things, right? That you're relying on the show to like make people aware of the cards and sell the cards. Then you don't sometimes buy the cards to play them. You keep them in mint condition because you think they're going to go up in price. Right. It's like a textbook security, but nobody's going to like seriously go after Yu-Gi-Oh or Pokemon for that. It used to be that only a few people made cryptocurrency. There was Bitcoin, there mm-hmm. was Litecoin, there was Dogecoin. And that right? was it. That's the, the three. Right. No, that came yeah, later. And you didn't really think like, oh, is Dogecoin one day going to rug pull me? And like, is there a sleeper line on line 59 that's going to like spun all the money to the developers? Right. No, but today, you know, the bar has come so low that anyone could create a smart contract. And the problem is that people get rug pulled by these things all the time and they're audited like they have vulnerabilities. And everyone's like, whoops, that's, that's the Wild West, I guess. I just got rug pulled. I lost all my money. We whoops. need regulation. Mm-hmm. Government, please step in. And it's like people Sadly. don't understand. The real solution is you're supposed to have what are called smart contract factories. So like Uniswap, all of those Uniswap um, pools come out of one factory. So they all look exactly the same. And so you only need to audit that one factory one time. You know, you can have many audits, but the point is that is how you have trust. The way that the current uh, ecosystem is, there's a lot of garbage out there that wasn't the whole point to remove the need to trust anyone, but now you have to trust these random developers of a random contract. It's, it's, the space has become a lot different than uh, the original crypto. Yeah, I, I still feel like it's going to suss itself out, right? It's We're still in the infancy of, of this thing. This, this cryptocurrency transition is what I like to call it because uh, a lot of people see its value. A lot of people, uh, you know, s- recognize the pattern of a new technology, something that's going to change mankind as we know it. And we're still in the infancy of it. And it's going to take time for the market to suss itself out. You, you bring up very valid points. Yes, the market is certainly muddled. People are getting, you know, sort of pulled in different directions for, you know, the promise of get rich quick and, and that kind of a thing. So buyer beware for sure. On the captain's earlier premise, what two cryptocurrencies are going to be the two standards going forward? Yeah, what's the Coke and Pepsi of crypto, you think, right? Yeah. Ooh, I don't know. But I before, you know, I go, I do want to encourage, please, go and look up Yu-Gi-Oh! The Abridged Series because I would love for <laughs> Free Talk Live hosts to be dropping references in the future. 
<laughs> Free Talk Live hosts just have to be concerned that Magic the Gathering doesn't get banned in federal prisons. <laughs> I'm not sure how D&D presents a security threat. Yeah. I'm not sure how Told it you, encourages the gang behavior. Doesn't add up. What I do know is that there was a big uh, sort of religious backlash against Dungeons & Dragons when it, when it came out and started getting oh. popular in the 80s when, when I was playing it. Uh, and so much so that a, a film was made about it starring Tom Hanks, of all people. Uh, they couldn't call the film Dungeons and Dragons because of copyright. They called it Mazes and Monsters. Mm. And uh, this was a film that was supposedly based loosely on some events that actually occurred. But it's a 1982 American made-for-television drama about a group of college students and their interest in a fictitious role-playing game of the same name. Uh Without and I've got their Wikipedia page pulled up here, but without uh, reading through what Wikipedia describes, I'll tell you, you. Uh, what you know because I saw the movie, of course. And it's basically yeah, group of people uh, they decide to do uh, live role play with the game, right? So they dress up in like a wizard's const costume with the you know a, a staff or an orc or an elf or whatever, and they found like some caves to like go play their game in, right? You know, and. Uh, one of the participants in this game had some mental problems oh, and uh, was eventually committed to a mental institution because they believed that their reality was them in the game instead of out of oh, the game. Oh, yeah. And so this was pushed by the religious folks as like, see what happens when you play Dungeons and Dragons? You can go crazy and like live in a whole different reality than what reality actually is. And it'll make you evil because Dungeons and Dragons are evil and satanic and all this kind of crap. Don't let them watch Inception. Right. Yeah. So at any rate. Spoiler alert. It's it's a like it's. A substandard movie, like quality. For I mean, if today, it's made for TV, I'd already assume. Yeah, that. but if you're a fan of like Tom Hanks or something, and you haven't seen it, it might be worth a watch. Let's start with Chip in South Carolina. Chip, you're on Free Talk Live. The uh, Dungeons and Dragons thing—it's so complex; it's just going to totally blow your mind. It's so simple, and I can't believe they redacted it. It's the fact that D and D has online real-time chat voice over tech capabilities. So the security issue isn't the game itself at all. It's that it provides private communication channels between peers playing the game. Okay, and I, they have no way of monitoring it. I assume that online games in general aren't allowed in prison. I could be wrong. I've not been in prison. But uh, D&D, it's, in its beginnings, and still to this day, has, we'll call it a board game uh, version, right, where you have pieces of paper where you develop your characters and your names and your hit points and your powers and all the armor you collect and all that kind of stuff, and then the dungeon master sort of draws the dungeon on you know a separate piece of paper. What and a tyrant that guy is. Right. So, like, I, I get why something like the online version of Dungeons & Dragons, right, with the, the chat sure. and the VoIP and all that would, yeah, obviously that provides a communication avenue. But I would think that that applies to all online video games in prison. I would assume all online games are banned. You can have an Xbox, but not yeah, Xbox Live. Kind of, right. kind of given. So, so it's actually the paper version. 
Yeah, like any any version apparently is like it would be like banning uh, what's a popular board game? Shoots, Shoots and ladders. ladders. Yeah. Right. <laughs> oh I'm over here thinking like tic tac toe. I'm like life, right? That's a board game. Monopoly. Monopoly, right? Yeah. In 2004, the Wappen Correctional Institution in Wisconsin decided to ban D and D and confiscated a small mountain of campaign materials. From inmates and dungeon master Kevin Singer's cell. Oh, that's how you start a riot with the nerds, man. Including a 96-page handwritten manuscript. That's so mean. Like They took the time to do that. I was going to have this published when I get out. Right. I hope they gave it to him when they got out. Singer, a lifelong D&D enthusiast, sued the prison, arguing the ban violated his First Amendment rights. Sure did. The case wound its way to the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals, where a panel of August judges found themselves considering the security threat presented by inmates pretending to be wizards. <laughs> oh my gosh. You can't make this stuff up, man. <laughs> this is humor you cannot write, right? Life is oftentimes oh, far more funny than anything you can Give them create. some hope. Yeah. If they're going to be there for a while, let them think they're a wizard. At, at least a pastime, right? You know, yeah. something to... So they cast a spell and nothing happens. They were afraid they were going to become actual wizards and, you know. (laughs) Like, I'm out of here. Do they do this to the sports nerds, tracking all the sports statistics in their composition notebook? Can play basketball, but you can't play D&D? The Seventh Circuit, ignoring affidavits from other inmates and from advocates of role-playing games, sided with the jailers. The question is not whether D&D has led to gang behavior in the past. The prison officials concede that it has not. So then what's the problem? The court wrote, the question is whether the prison officials are rational in their belief that, if left unchecked, D&D could lead to gang behavior among inmates and undermine prison security in the future. I don't think so. They should have the prison uh, guard versus prison inmate Dungeons and Dragons tournament. Again, how? They don't say how. And maybe they do. This article goes on for a little bit yet. Jeez. They probably don't. Until recently, the Pennsylvania Department of Corrections banned D&D manuals and similar role-playing games under the category of writings which advocate violence, insurrection, or guerrilla warfare against the government or any of its facilities or which create a danger within the context of the correctional facility. Hmm. D&D does none of that. Well, maybe outside D&D does none of that, but when you're in the confines of a prison and you're trying to like fantasize about whatever it is, you know, prison warden becomes the monster that everybody's got to go after. You, you start naming the, the big boss the prison warden. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know. Boy, this dungeon sure looks like this prison. Uh, I mean... Two lefts and a right okay, to get to but, his office. But again, if they're going to do that because they're afraid of something that might happen in the future, which they've admitted has not happened yet, yeah. right... Like, they should be afraid of a lot more things before they're afraid of D&D. As a musical guy, this particular article needs a bit of theme music. We go. Harmonica. More harmonica. I got my 12-sided die and I'm ready to roll with a wizard and my goblin crew. My friends are coming over to my mom's basement bringing Funyuns and the Mountain Dew. 
I got a big broadsword made out of cardboard, and that stereo's a pumping zeppelin. It's that time of the night. We turn on the black light. Let the dungeons and the dragons begin. It's D and D. Fantastic. A little bit of Stephen Lynch from way too long ago. I enjoy the enthusiasm in their performance. Yeah, yeah. For those of you who want to check it out, Stephen with the PH Lynch, like you think it's spelled. Yeah. And it is where you think. D, the ampersand, and then the letter D. Or anything by Stephen Lynch. Yeah, really. It's hilarious. Grandfather is one of my favorites. Go through the whole catalog. Yeah. At any rate, uh, there was a little bit more in this article that I wanted to uh, mention, and that is, uh, it's all silly, right? The whole banning and the whole, like, it, it might seems to be. possibly be construed as some way to, you know, whatever. It's all silly, but it does illustrate how counterproductive and dumb prison book bans can be. Of all the things you could be doing in prison, D&D is one of the better and less offensive ways to pass the time. It's social, it encourages teamwork and empathy, and as one former incarcerated man told me, gives the vilified an opportunity to be the good guy that the world in which we live rarely does. Yup. Aww. The Bureau of Prisons did not immediately respond to a request for comment. Because they're the bad guys. I was about to say, because ding, 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 they're the villains. according to some inmates, uh, because there's a bit of an update at the end of the article, according to some inmates... Uh, who wrote into this author, uh, they say that uh, in some prisons, they either play a game that's very similar to it called Pathfinder. I've never heard of this I've game. I've never heard of that either. Uh, or they actually go ahead and play it, but some, but the, the guards look the other way. They don't really enforce it at some prisons. I don't know which I ones. Mean, I would but, never be a prison guard, but if I were to be one, I would not care if inmates were playing D&D. I'm going to do whatever I want, regardless. So why do I have to vote for people, you know? I mean, I wouldn't show up to vote anyway, right? I got it. But based on their system, yeah. right, the reason to register is you can't vote twice like the Democrats do. But dead people vote and, you know, <laughs> right. yeah. so like it obviously works really well, yeah. you know. Uh, and uh, there are better, faster, and more efficient methods of calculating voting, taking into account the potential for people to vote multiple times. Uh, if you just look to Hollywood, right? These uh, you know call-in show or you know where you get the American, American Idol. Idol and the what are these dance shows? I don't remember any of their. So names. you think you can dance? Yes. Yep. Yeah, yeah. The Voice, right? All these kind of things. They have a superior voting system that takes into account. Really? Yeah, takes into account. That's hilarious. Your, your you know, how what percentage of people are going to try and call in and vote twice, and you know, caller IDs and all that kind of stuff. So, like, it's a superior system that weeds all that out and gives accurate results, far superior to anything a government, at least the United States government, has. Shocker. Even, even if it didn't weed it out, right? Right. Let them vote twice. Right, if you're that, I mean, if, if you care that much, if you're that committed to your team winning, huh? right, vote as much as you can. Vote well, it happen. could be like one of those because there are um, certain things. I can't think of an example right now, but there are certain um, like contests and stuff where you can enter multiple times, and it's like yeah. if you took the time to enter this contest five hundred times, yeah. you deserve it. I yeah. cleared there my cash fifty times this hour. Yeah. <laughs> 
we're going to win this thing. <laughs> right? right, yeah, like you like know? voting for uh, you know player of the week for insert sport here. Sure. Yeah. Right? Those things are all very accurate at tabulating the results, you know? Uh, but even if they're not, right, if, it's, if it comes down to like voting as many times as you want yeah. and both teams are doing it, Right in yeah, aggregate, even out. yeah, it in aggregate, even it evens out. out. Right, yeah, and this has been proven. Right, uh, we've covered it many times here on Free Talk Live. That statistically, uh, particularly in presidential voting, uh, your vote doesn't do jack. It's not going to be the difference. It's not going to nope. tip the scale one way or another. In fact, it's statistically irrelevant voting for the president. So it's going to have no impact. Nikki read in this uh, article from CNN. The headline reads: An abortion clinic on wheels. Planned Parenthood in Illinois to reduce travel times for patients in red states by bringing abortion, abortion, abortion care to them. My brain is just still going, the wheels on the abortion clinic go, go round and round. Round and round. Round and round. Oh, man. My kids are going to be seriously messed up when I have any. No, they're, they're probably just going to be like. Well-adjusted libertarians. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, normal, as we like to refer yeah. to people. Unbrainwashed, normal. right? Unbrainwashed. Uh, Planned Parenthood is preparing to open its first mobile, or mobile, abortion clinic in southern Illinois, which will bring services closer to patients by traveling along the borders of neighboring states where abortion has been outlawed. All right. The, so, the th- <laughs> kind of for it. You yeah, for it? I yeah. mean, it's... I think it's going to be a big hit. Bring choice to the people. Medical yeah. care. Yeah. It does have, I'm going to read this next sentence and then and then I'm going to make a statement. The 37-foot RV, <laughs> I'm thinking like Breaking Bad here, right? I'm thinking like a beat-up Winnebago from 1984 or something, right? You know, with some coat hangers. They probably have those <laughs> you know, too, some honestly. Some unsanitary implements of, you know. That's the unsponsored one. <laughs> the unsponsored <laughs> Yeah. That's Planned Parenthood's competition. Unplanned Parenthood. That's what Planned Parenthood should be called righteously, right? Should be called Unplanned Parenthood because, like, nobody really goes there to figure out, like, well, you know. I mean, they go well, there. They, when, they go there yeah. when it's already too late. Like, well, they're like, oh, I should have planned and I didn't, so let me plan now for a thing I didn't plan. But there are a lot of other services that Planned Parenthood. I, everybody thinks of them just for abortions. Because that's they what do, the protesters are out there. Well, exactly. But is. they do breast exams. They do other and like they, cancer and, screening. And they do uh, contraception and, and all that yeah. kind of stuff. But like, still, that's that's unplanned parenthood. <laughs> well, that's planning ahead to not get pregnant. Well, or at least learning or, your lesson after the first time. Yeah. <laughs> You know, to plan it better the next time, which most parents don't do. At any rate, uh, the 37-foot RV, which will be staffed by a small team of three to five, is equipped with a waiting room, lab space, and two exam rooms. The mobile clinic is part of a larger effort by a Planned Parenthood chapter operating in both Illinois, where abortion is legal, and Missouri, where abortion has been banned, to cut travel times and costs for patients seeking abortion care. The mobile clinic is expected to be in full operation before the end of the year, according to Dr. Colleen McNicholas. Well, I've never heard of a McNicholas before. Uh, Chief Medical Officer of Planned Parenthood of the St. Louis region. Uh, The affiliates Fairview Heights Abortion Clinic in the Illinois side of the St. Louis region has been flooded with abortion patients. The way I feel about this is the same way I feel about food trucks. Okay. Just, you know, I mean, as long as you have permission from 
some yeah. business, some property owner to, you know, plop your 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 thing down, your trailer, whatever it is, your fifth wheel, your food truck, whatever. Far out, solid, right on. You know, uh, am I going to go to it? No, probably not. Why? Because I don't really need those services. But if you feel like you do, and it's there, you should be able to go. Yeah, I'm not saying it shouldn't. I'm saying that the the promotion of it mm. seems more more of a a gimmick like a, to get themselves gimmick, oh, yeah. in the news, for example. Some publicity, a publicity stunt, yeah. if you will. I uh, I don't necessarily disagree with you. Okay. And I'm sure so many people are going to be outraged about this. Probably. Yeah, I mean, yeah, what do you mean? Oh, no, right? Uh, how about this? Um, do states own the sky or does the federal government own the sky? Good question. I don't so know, could, but I know there's like a max height. Could you have a mobile abortion clinic in the sky? Helicopter, airplane? Sure. Right. But you, again, you got to go You got to go up like with the 62 miles or whatever it happens to be. Right, right. But you could be, you know, hovering or circling the property in a state where it's banned, right? Huh. Why not? I guess so. And would that be legal? Again, I think if you go high enough, it doesn't matter. Do they have abortion cruises? Yes. <laughs> they do. I'm pretty sure. Sarah, you're on Free Talk Live. So I just wanted to bring up that seventy uh, percent of our immunity relies on our intestines, our gut. It's true. And bunch of bacteria in your in your gut, and that's uh, there's a what's it called a biome microbiome microbiome. Mm-hmm. Thank you. It's the second brain. It actually controls our a lot. It controls like our mood and our emotions. It's really really interesting. It's a good rabbit hole to go down. Well, wow, that's amazing. I mean, because so the fighting off the flu and the COVID, you know, has to do with um, how much how much you could fight off the bad bacteria in your intestines. So it's the battle. Most of the battle is happening in your gut. It's just a. I, I mean, it's finally like it's amazing because I thought the immunity would be like equal parts. I mean, all over like. Um, the rest of the body, but like most of it is happening in the the war is um in your intestines. And what's amazing is that like the fermented products is the one that helps uh, with these proper biomes. Like um, what is it? The yeast, like uh, fermented uh, milk, yogurt, and yeah. uh, miso, uh, kombucha. All of these fermented products. I'm I'm trying to figure out why that would be. Because they have live like bacteria cultures in <laughs> right. Yeah. Even even beer, for you know, to some extent, has. I mean, it's uh, the alcohol is produced by yeast, and it produces all sorts. And like beer, like you know, don't overdo it, but beer is supposed to be healthy for your microbiome. Yeah. So, um, so I'm just amazed. And well, there you go. We got a big weapon. No, we hear about vitamin C, vitamin D, and for your immunity, but also those. Um, uh, probiotics, those will really help. Along with like drinking like pickle juice, that's supposed to be good for your gut health also. Yeah, um, a lot of a lot of folks when they start uh, developing heartburn, uh, they'll immediately reach for some over the counter like thing like Tums, which by the way backwards is smut. In case you were wondering, I wasn't. You don't need to know that, but. It's just something I know. Now you do. Uh, now I'll never forget. Thank you for that. Yeah, thumbs backwards is smut. Anyway, uh, most people when they develop heartburn will, or first start developing heartburn, uh, it won't be chronic. And uh, what heartburn really is is a lack of acid 
in your stomach. That's why it burns. You don't have enough acid in your stomach. So uh, the we'll call it the the old wives' remedy for that is uh, is vinegar. Yep. Now, if you don't have vinegar, uh, just reach into your refrigerator and grab your jar of dill pickles and pour yourself a shot of pickle juice because that's got a bunch of vinegar and garlic and all that kind of stuff in it. And uh, tell me if your uh, heartburn goes away. I mean, that explains so much. I had a friend who would like, stop off at his house as we're cruising around town, and he would pour himself a glass of pickle juice right from the jar, but he also ate anything and was fine. Jerome, you're on Free Talk Live. Yes, I, I wish to share two pieces, a couple of pieces of information with you. The as long as it's the truth. The, okay, information as, piece number one, go. As vetted by Elon Musk's Twitter. Oh, I, yeah, right. Yeah, the racist. Elon Musk, the racist. Hey, he's at I least African. Up, I hey, I don't care what kind of sports he watches on TV. He's as much of an African as I am, okay? You sound like that clown DeSantis. We, 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 well, I think he was born in Africa. He was born in South Africa. Yeah, he's not an He's not, look, he's an Afrikaner. He's not, he's not South African. He's an Afrikaner. That's a difference. What's right. the difference? So, What's the difference? Uh, well, well, hang on. Everyone's trying to share. Oh, I know, but I want to know the difference. Now I want three. All I want right, to know the difference. Right. He's making up terms. No, I'm not. Well, what's the difference between a South African and an Afrikaner? He's a racist. That's the difference between he's a racist. Aren't most South Africans racist? Yes. uh, Isn't that like in their culture? I heard the little little crack DeSantis made about him. Oh, he's an African-American. He ain't no damn African-American. Well, he might not be an American, but he's definitely an African. Who's DeSantis? He's a a racist because now that he's bought Twitter, they're going to have all kind of racist crap on there, and they're going to let Trump come back on. With all of his crap. Well, just don't go but on Twitter then. Yeah, move to no, Mastodon. I don't. I don't uh, that's for these young people, you know. Hey, I found out today I tested positive for COVID. Are you oh, positive? Really? I was really shocked. Are you sure? Yeah. Are you sick? Positive. I went to the doctor, went to the VA today because I wasn't feeling too good, you know. And he said, we're going to do a test on you, give you some medicine, send you home. And I will call you back in a couple hours. Yeah. On my way home, the doctor called me and said, well, put the lime in the coconut. For COVID. I said, what? So my next question, of course, it. Jerome, is uh, were you vaccinated? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I've weird. had like about three boosts. I had a risen, I had the original shot, and I had like a couple of boosted shots. And you still fact, got I it. I just had one a couple of months ago. Huh. Yeah. Weird. I was in the store. I was in the grocery store Thursday. The same day that I went to see my doctor, my new doctor, and I heard these people coughing, I said, I got to get the hell out of here. I didn't get out fast enough. You just listened to the new extended Free Talk Live Daily Digest. We felt this format was more appropriate for our podcast audience and decided to make it our official podcast. If you subscribe to the Daily Digest or full episode RSS feeds, please resubscribe to the main FTL podcast feed, which you can find at feeds.freetalklive.com. The other feeds rely on a third-party service, and though they'll have the same content, we can't be sure how long they'll stay online. If you still want the entire radio show, you can listen live every night from 7 to 10 Eastern at freetalklive.com. Full video archives are at video.freetalklive.com, or tune in to our 24-7 stream for the latest show at listen.freetalklive.com. Free Talk Live's amps will continue to receive the full two-hour radio show with no recorded commercials via podcast through Patreon. So please join amps.freetalklive.com for just $5 a month. Thank you for listening to and sharing Free Talk Live.